Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Good morning, people. Monday morning. Um, and that means Metrospective here from 11 till 1 on SEN Track. And as per standard now, and I believe ongoing, uh, my partner in crime, Steve Cleave. How are you, Steve? I'm going really well, Bon. You? Uh Terrific. Had a great night Saturday night. Lots of fun. Um, uh, it was quite frenetic in the early part, wasn't it? There were a lot of interviews and we had a minute of silence for the late, great Queen Elizabeth II. And um, they say don't work with kids or animals. Well, we did both on Saturday night, which was, um, but it was fun, wasn't it? It certainly was. As you said, the first few races were sort of jumping everywhere. But once we settled into our groove, I think we had a pretty good night. Uh, and now what we will do today, next week I'm going to tap a little friend of mine in at Harness Racing Victoria to see if we can't uh, organise a little bit of a harness racing quiz on Mondays moving forward. But one thing we are going to do today is, well, a couple of things. We're going to we're going to do our retrospective review of the races at Tabcool Park on Saturday night, but we're also going to uh, play out some of the post-race um, Trot's Vision audio so that people can get a greater guide. Steve and I will give you our opinion on uh, on the races and how horses went, but sometimes hearing from the winners and, uh, and exactly what they thought of the races that they contested can help. And at some point after we look at the VHRC Caduceus Classic, which is um, race seven on the program, so a little bit later in the card and a little bit later in the show today, we might just have a quick squeeze as we were on Saturday night, Steve, at the at the futures markets. Not something that I typically get involved with, but there were a couple there on Saturday night we were squeezing that looked okay. So we might just run a rule over those later on. Yeah, no, that sounds great. As I said, we we picked out a few that we thought were just unbelievable odds, and I'm, I'm the same. I normally don't get involved in them unless there's something that's just way, way overs, and we did find a couple there. All right, let's get stuck in. Race one on the program at Tabcool Park on Saturday night was a, um, it was a weird old way to start the night. Typically, over a long period of time, there's been a belief and a philosophy, and it's been grounded in empirical evidence that – they're normally leader peg-dominated races, the first races on the card, for whatever reason. There's a range of reasons or a variety you might be able to attribute to that fact, but they're typically similarly graded races. And once um, a decent horse finds the front, and they're, they're very even races, generally speaking, and that's probably why horses don't make a move in Metro Maidens and one Metro win races, which sets up scenarios where it's very, very hard to make ground. Well, the times here, Steve, it should have been hard to make ground, but apparently it wasn't because the swoop is dominated. It was a big win by what Stanley got, who, to be fair, has shown this kind of ability in the past. 
Yeah, correct that, Bon. He's, uh, he loves to just sit and, and stalk the speed and sprint home over top of him, but it really wasn't expected Saturday night, and especially with the times they were running, as you suggested. You know, they went 31-2 and 30.5 off a lead time of only 46-7, which is just not that quick. 158-7, as I said, we're so used to these race ones, you know, going at a hectic pace, and 155s generally is the time for that. But, um, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing. Arden Roanoke found the front and uh, just, yeah, capitulated at the top of the straight, which then caused a massive traffic jam. You, you see, you know, they were seven wide across the straight and there was horses ducking in and ducking out and all trying to find gaps everywhere. And Greg Sugars, he uh, he sat he sat in when the three-wide train uh, started to make its move and he jumped onto the back of it three-wide, two-back. And when he went loose at the top of the straight, he just, yeah, found another gear and everything else was just still staying at the same pace. He he just dropped back a gear and just went straight past him like he was just jogging. It was one of those races, though, normally when you're getting stuck into the reviews, um, <laughs> you like a little bit of an easy start. We'll get through race one and, and we'll move through. And when it gets to some of those... Uh, bigger, better races in the middle of the quaddy. We might have to watch them three or four times, but this really is a replay that you've got to watch, I don't know, six or seven times to get a guide on all the unlucky runners because of that traffic jam that you mentioned. Uh, like, it wasn't just along the inside. There were horses everywhere getting no run. W- which were the ones that really took your eye? Like, Talon Agent, for me, never got never got a run. Even Semi's ideal at massive odds never, ever got out. So there's going to be a lot of forgive runs out of this race, you would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, there was probably four or five of them there. Um, Lombo Heaven, he got a gap, and uh, he, he shot on really well in the second place. So he was one that got fairly fortunate uh, when the horses, they, they were all just shifting up the track, I suppose, and anything that was off the fence, just it just kept getting in their roads as those gaps kept closing. Uh, what did you say? Got around the outside of them, so he was in clear running, but um, our classy reactor was up sprint lane. It was okay, but just got pegged, so maybe not as good as we expected from it. But Malibu Jack, Rock and Tommy Rules, Talon Age and Sammy's Ideal, they were all, yeah, just, just looking for spots to get clear up the home straight. So any of those well, from sort of sixth back to ninth, I think you could uh, put a pen through that run and certainly follow them in next start if you already like them. Now, do we knock, um, do we knock Major Watson? I think, that, look, there's a follow-up report in the scope with Arden Roanoke, and I'll be honest with you, maybe there was something wrong, but I would... I would lean towards the belief without having looked at the stewards report or anything yet that Arden Roanoke, he's not the kind of horse who loves to lead. He probably loves to lead and take a trail. We talked about the fact that there was nothing to take a trail on. Nathan Jack gave him a peach of a run, but I just think middle trip leading, that's not his go in life. And I, he just can't keep starting as short as he is. He was $2.20 for crying out softly on Saturday night. I mean, that's just, ah. And Major Watson, what did you make of it? Because... You could make a little excuse for Major Watson, but I'm thinking in those sectionals, even if you're outside the leader, 46-7, 31-2, I probably would have expected him to go a little bit better. Yeah, no, absolutely agree there. He he had, you know, the perfect trip. If you're going to be stuck in the death, you want him running those sort of times out in front. Um, so he was disappointing. Arden Ravanoki, he, he did back up from Bendigo three days earlier, which was a, a 21.50 metre race where he led and won quite comfortably. So... He, he's sort of not hopeless out in front, but I, I don't disagree. He is probably better off as set. But um, to stop the way he did after that run, yeah, that was pretty disappointing. So whether he just didn't back up or not, I'm not sure. And Balenciago just made a mess of it at the start when they uh, tried to 
kick out the gate and hopefully hold the front, but uh, or, or at least lead his back, and it just tailed around the field. So certainly put a black line through that one. Yeah, and uh, he'll be outside the draw, so um, that's going to make life hard for Balenciaga because I think he's been racing. A lot of his recent form has been um, pretty good, hasn't it? But it's been in beautiful positions in transit off good draws. Now that's going to make life a lot harder. And the one that I liked in the race, Sassiola, was just a pass mark, um, if that was behind the leader. Got dragged back. It's funny, isn't it, Steve? Some horses can lose their momentum and pick it up again very, very quickly, and others can't. So you can't judge them all exactly the same way sometimes. When you have that momentum-halting run, um, the snap-sit sprinters can pick themselves up off the canvas quickly, but those who grind through their gears, you know, they might only seem like they get held up for 50 metres, but it might actually equate to you know, eight or 10 metres in terms of how close they might have got to the winner or even winning races if they have to slow all that momentum and then restart the engine again, so to speak. Yeah, it is very hard, especially when you're running, you know, 28 quarters and, and the sprint's going on. If you lose that momentum, you know, you've, you've got to think that you're not just you know, slowing down, but you're basically restraining and then trying to surge forward. It's it's extremely hard to do. So anything that does cop a check in those sort of vital stages, you can always be forgiving of. One race down, Metrospective, Monday, 11 to 1, Trot's Life SEN track. When we come back, we'll talk about a very, very exciting trotter called Olivici. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back, people. You are listening to SEN Track. And on Mondays, for those who don't know, and if you don't, be very unusual. First time listening. We go through the Saturday night race at Tabcourt Park Mountain or wherever they might be and try and find your winners for the future and just analyse some of the critical performances. Maybe if we've got a reason or if we know something about why a given horse might have underperformed, then we'll deliver that information as well. Steve Cleave and Jason Bonnington with you. Race two in the card was a it was a 70 to 100 trot, but it featured two or three horses we believe, Steve Cleave. Well, that's incredible. Um, could go on and be in the fast class races pretty soon. Olivici, just believe, and uh, and also Mufasa Metro. I'm interested first of all in uh, in your thoughts on Mufasa Metro and whether whether it's a big forgive under the circumstances, whether it was uh, jewelry's out, or whether you were disappointed. No, look, I'm a forgiver on that run. The times were really good. Um, Greg gave his horse a, a really good run out in front and kept him running. And uh, I think it just proved a little bit too much first up from the Vasa Metro. And, you know, nothing beats match fitness. And I think he'll certainly improve off that run. Well, that's you'll get to Just Believe in a moment. That's a big tick for Just Believe because he was lacking the match fitness as well. They have gone 157.8, which is really moving. And, the lead time wasn't overly slick, 46.3, but then they got moving from there, 29.8 for both the first and second quarters at home in 58, and it was just a beautiful drive by uh, by Chris Lang. Got Olivici into the gun spot, 1-1, one, one, peeled and rolled, and he's 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 a funny horse to watch because he never looks like he's going that fast, Olivici. He just sort of cruised up, then he, when he hit the front... You thought he'll go away and draw away and win by 10 or 15, but he, he just goes through his gears. He's just a powerful creature. 
Yeah, he sure is. And we spoke to Chris after the race, and I said to him, when he uh, when he sprints, he just looks like he he just extends his stride. He actually, you know, some horses you can see their legs really quicken up, but he he just looks like his legs go at the same speed. But he obviously just extends that stride and and really finds a bit of ground underneath him. Um. He's going places, we know that. But so too, I'd say, is the second horse. First run for Lara J Farm, just believe, uh, did lead. Look, I was thinking forward or back. I wasn't sure. And even if it did go forward, I thought it, they'd be handing up to Mufasa Metro. But that's that's clearly an indication of where Jess Tubbs and Greg Sugars believe just believe is at. And I think that was fortified and confirmed by his performance. He was really good. Yeah, he was really good. And there was a bit of money for him too. He was kept really safe in the betting. So I think there was a bit of confidence with him. But um, I didn't get to speak to Greg during the night. I'm not sure whether he was tapping the wheels. I, I saw him when he was coming into the home straight the first time and he was looking down at his wheel and I went, does he have a flat or is something happening? And I just wonder if that horse is touching the wheel a bit, which might have got him keen, thus the quick times. He maybe just wouldn't settle if he was tapping the wheel. But that was an excellent first up run. It was a funny sort of race. You talk about this all the time, the um, the quandary or the uh, the equation between the third and the fourth quarters. Well, I actually got home in 29.4, which was slower than the third quarter of 28.6. And, and it gave a couple of horses back in the field an opportunity to make some late ground. So Zareen was good getting home. Chief running cloud flew home. Probably the one that I'm picking out for the future, though, is Kukallan because he was first up from a break. And we know uh, what a good horse he is when he's in the mood, Steve. Yeah, and if you listen to his owner in the interview that you did with him, uh, Murph Butterworth, he said he was pretty fat. So if that's the case, he's he's certainly going to improve off mass fitness as well. And and just getting to this race, people say, and, and getting to the punning side, that it's really hard to make money when there's an odds-on favourite. But I think this race was a really good proof of how you can actually make money out of a race when there is a real shorty. So if you don't want to be back in odds-on horses, as we went through the form the other night, we, we, we picked Zarem out, and the reason being was his race fit. He's, you know, he's been racing week in, week out, and really consistently. And there was about five or six horses in that field that were first up from a spell. So they always got a little question mark when they were first up. Zarem got home really strong into third place and paid $5 a place. So a $5 place get is better than an odds-on winner in my books. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's very, very, very true. And it happened a couple of times throughout the course of the night, and we'll talk about that a, a touch later as well. But, um, yeah, that's uh, Kukallan is actually going to go on my black book because I've just had a squizzle dizzle, and – He's a rating 79. Now, this was a 70 to 100 race. So you're not racing out of your grade, but he's, you know, he's racing some horses that he doesn't have to. We have 70 to 79 trots and all the rest of it. Now, you're right, Merv Butterworth, who did join us. I'd, I didn't uh, get a chance to catch up with him after uh, the performance of his gun runner on the night. Copy that. But uh, that might have been for the best, to be honest. We'll talk about copy that in the Caduceus Classic a little bit later. But... Kukallan may take those three runs, but I, I'm i happy to throw him in the black book early here because I think he could go close next time out. And if he doesn't, I reckon third up from a break will definitely be ready to roll. He's a really nice horse, Kukallan. He's well-graded still at 79. And the way he worked home, I uh, I think a win is not too far away. We'll move on to race three, two-year-old fillies, the freshman fillies. And um, no surprises here again with major delight getting the job done just a little bit lazy early and a little bit lazy late, but too professional for them. And um, a filly on the rise, a sister 
to horse we'll talk about maybe the futures markets a little bit later on after his big performance in the Group 1 pace. Max Delight. Uh, don't know if he's got – he switched on as much as Max Delight was at the same age or quite as good, but uh, I think she's um, I think she's still going places. She's undefeated from three starts. Yeah, no, she is. It looks like she's certainly got her fair share of ability and already Group 1 winner taking out the APG Gold Bullion last start before uh, Saturday night before her first up performance. Uh, just can't knock the run. She's just going to get better and better. They did say that she sort of didn't want to get out there and, and do things. She was very green, just sort of running around and looking at stuff on the track and whatnot. So if you take all that into account, you can just see the, the improvement that's going to come out of that run. And as it really switches on, then you know you've got a real serious horse on your hands. Our Princess Di was a very good run. Uh, you interviewed David last Friday and he didn't give it a real push. He, he just sort of said, oh, it'll improve off the run and and knew that, yeah, he was certainly underdone for that race. But he'd done a bit of work in the early burn to hold out the two-horse uh, delightful Tammy and it still found really strong at the finish. I know the winner had it won comfortably but really held second place quite strong down this uh, straight. So certainly one to be watching going into the future. Yeah, there were um, probably, you know, a couple of only okay runs. But to be honest, the, the way the race was run now, major delight, one thing she has got at this early stage of her career is professionalism. So while she might be a little bit lazy and not 100% switched on, they had to run off the gate in 28.5 and she was tapped up to make sure she got across them, but there was never going to be much resistance. But then she is this kind of filly because of her laconical attitude she can drop down to 31-3. And at that point, if you were back in the field, um, it was game over in terms of even running or even finishing on the podium, I would have thought there, Steve. Yeah, no, pretty much, as you said, that little breather in the middle and she's just so relaxed to come back to him and then quickened up to 28-7. And, and 27-5 home, they really didn't look like they were running that. And if you go back and watch the replay, I've actually just got it paused in front of me. Lance Justice has always said he loves horses with big ears. Like he reckons the longer the ears, the better the class of horse. If you go back and watch his horse in the replay and have a look at it near the finish, it's probably got the longest ears I've ever seen on a racehorse. So maybe it's better to be good. Who's that, the winner? The winner, Major Delight. Yeah. You have a look at it. They are just massive. They're huge. All right. I'll, uh, it's, it's, I, I, thought I'd, I thought I'd learn a fair bit about racing up to this point, but now I've got to check out their ears before they go out there. Incredible stuff. Um, well, if, ears, if having big ears is going to make you classy, well, that might be why I'm so good. Absolute wing nut. <laughs> right. Um, now, Aussie Sweet Pea, I just want to uh, touch on it because I didn't think it would run second. They uh, Jack Law made the decision. They've got to teach this filly how to be a racehorse. She's... Got a few screws loose, likes to go forward, race very aggressively. Well, she went back, and I thought you made a really um, a quality point last week, Steve, talking about Monsieur Delacour in particular. But So we talk about third and fourth quarters. What we often do is we bunch the last 800 metres in together and, and constantly talk about last halves, don't we? So the last half here was pretty slick, 56-2. But in this case, the more crucial sectional is the last 400 metres. And to be honest... Probably the last furlong or 300 metres is even more important because Aussie Sweet Pea has only peeled very, very late, had to come wide around them. And we'll talk about the last quarter here, 27-5, and probably made up five or six metres in that time. So we have a tendency to, to talk about last halves, but really when you're thinking about how well did a horse get home, you've got to check exactly when did they peel in the run and how fast were they going at that point. And I was very, very contented this was an excellent run. Yeah, I was just watching the replay while you were talking just to get exact 
guide on how many lengths got beaten. It's probably only made up half a length, I reckon. So if you actually work out that the leader's gone 27.5, it, it's got home still just under that. So if it's made up a length in that time, then you know, you know, that's and going wide, it's certainly uh, put in a good finish getting to the line. So pretty happy with that. It's just green as grass. You see, when um, the stable mate actually got going, MJB, it left her. She sort of lost half a length. And then once Jack got her going, she sort of got up outside of it, but didn't really switch on. But the last hundred was when she really seemed to knuckle down. I think, again, it's a horses for courses situation, I think, particularly. So <laughs> this is why you get so much peg domination when they're running home quick times, because the horse is going wide. Sometimes you, you mark them out in your own mind or, or you get the sectionals and it says this horse was eight metres behind the leader and this is 10 metres behind the leader and all the rest of it. But when you're going wide and they're sizzling, it's, you know, even as like as a driver, you would know this, Steve, balancing them, keeping the momentum going, you're, you're actually losing ground most of the time while you're trying to make ground. So in these races, I'm really big on the ones that can come out wide and make any ground at all because... Um, basically, it is, it's just worth its weight in platinum to be on the pegs in these races. It really is. And I suppose the other thing to watch in that regard, and you said about balancing them up, if you're backing horses that have to come from behind and they're going to be going wide, you want to make sure they're not a green or a rough goer or a bit, you know, not a great traveller because if they get a little bit wobbly on that corner, you're losing more ground and speed at the same time. Whereas if you've got a horse that pretty much rails like a greyhound and you, even though you're pulling it out three and four wide it just paces beautifully and, and zips right into it those sort of horses you can back confidently knowing that they're going to pull out and go wooshka but a horse like this one who's very still green and erratic you watch her sort of wobble and and go in and out as she starts to straighten you're not making any ground when they're doing that that's actually losing ground losing speed so that's another thing to watch when you're actually betting on horses that are coming from well back I've actually made Aussie Sweet Pea a black booker on that effort. Joining us in the studio now, before we go to the news, Zoe wearing what looks like, I don't know, did, did you find this? Um... This is what I like to call Hamilton Island Corporate. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? I've absolutely nailed that. It's, well, Nim said it's resort wear. Yeah. But it's somewhat like if you're on a resort, but you had things to do. Yeah. It's 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 college lawn Sunday wear. It's um, it's it's boat shoe specific. So I think it goes with the boat shoe. Have you got a boat shoe on? So the boat shoes and I've got a woven shoe. Just a, a woven shoe. So uh, and it's it's a woven sandal because there's no heel there either. But it's one of those. I would say it's more of a slide, but sandal. Okay, we'll let it. We'll what 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 slide. what would you call this? Well, what is the material? A linen. Yeah, it's 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 one of those soft crushed linens that's not not supposed to be. It's supposed to look casual and just thrown back Am a little I bit. Looking casual. Um, you look like yeah, you you look like you could live next door to um, JD's family in 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 Brighton or Toronto. Really, yeah. This does look a little the, bit bright. This is it? this is where you just throw it on and maybe go down and get the paper. Get a coffee. Get a coffee. Take uh, my and little a, dog a, out. A skinny, ultra skinny. Um, Zymil milk, soy milk, almond almond milk, mock of magic. Yep. Do you know magics? I didn't think they were a real thing. My friend's been ordering them. Apparently they are a real thing. Apparently they're very good too. I wouldn't. Now, I did send you something the other day before we go to the news. You've got to be a bit careful that Tel Aviv is the most expensive city in the world at the moment. I'd I'd back off buying any more linen blouses between now and when you go. Noted. No more linen. And probably no, no purchasing when you're in. Actually, just walk around Tel Aviv. 
maybe act like a homeless person there for a little bit. Maybe act like a street Very person. expensive. I wouldn't wear that while looking like a street person. I don't think they'll believe you. But. Yes. Maybe I do want to present myself like that. You know that woman. Catch me if you can type situation. Um, no, the woman recently um, who went undercover as a rich person, but really she wasn't rich. So it's the other, it's the other way around. It's like undercover boss, but like an undercover poor, like a, a somebody in poverty. She was who's, poor, right? But she was acting rich, and everyone, yeah, JD knows who I'm talking about. Yeah, she's like, oh, I think. Oh, Anna. Anna, that's I reckon. Anna story. Yes, um, in it's my a, resort where? Yeah. In Tel Aviv. And maybe you can put on an accent like her as well. This is kind of what it was like. We're going to have the news. We'll be back very soon. Great to talk to Zoe. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Oh, it's, this is my song. Yeah. This is my band from back in the day. How good with the jungle people? I know you're a fan, Steve. Absolutely. That's why I sent that to uh, JD this morning. Yes, it's a shameless self-promotion here. That wasn't even me, but you know, I've, uh, I'm, I'm. Look, you're singing along to your own band song. Well, it, it happened. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go on the quiz circuit, but who knows? You know, actually, I can't announce who it is. People will know who it is. I can't say, can I? And the next Australian Idol, I'm gonna, there's a mate of mine that's uh, it's going to be having a bit of a crack. I can't say that. Is it me? It's not, it's not me. It's, it's, I think it's Jason. It still might be me. It still might be me. It's not me. It might be me. I don't know. It could be me. Um, thanks for joining us, though, um, and good luck with everything. And uh, hopefully we spoke about some stuff that we're not going to speak about on air, off air, but hopefully you don't get yourself into trouble. Just when you're, you're starting in Morocco... Well, just don't spend too much. Either spend all your money there and come home before going to Tel Aviv or don't spend any money there so you've got five bucks left so you don't have to get yourself into awkward situations in the um, Israeli – is it the capital or is Jerusalem the capital? Tel Aviv's the capital. That's what I said, in the Israeli capital. Right, race uh, four in the card at Tabcourt Park on Saturday night. Catch a wave was too good. They had a little crack at the start. A couple of – Josh Jenkins got this right. So too did um, Dan Maliki. Did, and I think you might have even been on the, on the same page. Might have flying hard. Ran off the gate a little bit. Got in behind the leader and that was the spot on place to be. But catch a wave once again, very dominant. Weirdly, even though he did it so easily, he probably didn't look like the killing machine. But that sometimes happens when – you're in front, Steve. You don't look quite as impressive, but um, he won with plenty in hand. Yeah, he certainly did. It was a little bit of a, a worry the first time around. That he didn't want to score up, and he's got those little quirks about him, but once they got him going the second time, he was all good to go, and he got off the gate pretty quick. Uh, Mighty Flying Art had a little... <clears throat> Not so much a look for the front, but just got the speed on enough to be able to jump onto its back when Shannon's a man couldn't quite hold that spot. Uh, we got the first four between us. Um, I, I had Sahara Tiger in always my fourth selection, but uh, Josh had it. He was pretty keen on it. He had it in for second. So it, uh, it paid huge for place as well. But um, 
they all filled out in the single file, which you don't normally see in an eight-horse field. And Catchaway was just left out in front doing his own little thing. But they still ran good time, 155-2, 29-6 first quarter, then a breather of 30.4. And the game was over then, 27-5 down the back and 27-8 home. Mighty Flying Art had the perfect sit leaders back to get up to second. But the horse and on black booking uh, Sahara Tiger, he was six lengths off him at the 400-metre mark and he's got beaten 15 metres. It was a massive run second up from a long spell. It was very good. Oh, I should mention earlier, God bless you, I, th- I believe there was a sneeze right at the start of this particular progression and I just want to make sure you're, you're okay, um, Steve. Or as they say in Seinfeld, you're so good looking. You're so good looking. Right. Race for uh, Catch a Wave. Yeah, Sahara Tiger. Excellent. Black Booker for me. Can find a much easier race than this. And it was such a big, big progression second up from a break, as you mentioned. Um, Kaki Nui and Shorty's mate. Kaki Nui tried to make a dramatic move at the start. Didn't quite work yet. Um, I thought maybe they were both a little bit below because Shorty's mate's just been oscillating a touch. But there's not much more we can say about the remaining runners. Hulinian made a, a dramatic move. Um, but he was first up from a break and he just got tired. And we spoke about the fact that he's better over the short trip anyway. I thought his run was fine. We just need to find a, a more appropriate circumstance and maybe a short course race, I think, Steve. Yeah, I, I think he just, I don't know, watching the race, I was sort of surprised he went so quick down the back, especially, you know, they'll go on 27-5. And I just, when I was watching the replays again this morning, it reminded me back to, I think it was last prep, he did the same thing. A couple of his runs, he seemed to go early on him. And I don't know if he uses that as a bit of a tighten up for him or what. And then sort of three runs into the prep, he drove him with a set, pulled him out three and four wide at the 300 and just launched and, and ran over the top of him. So maybe that's how John drives him, just to tighten him up that bit when he's not 100% ready, but uh, he certainly ran out of puff and fitness gave way halfway down the straight. He's a funny horse. I don't know if you've uh, you've been behind, been behind one like this because not many are, but I feel like, you know, there's plenty of horses around where you've really got to ask them to hit top gear and they go through their gears. I feel like Hulk in the end, you, I'm not even sure John asked him. I think John just peeled him and he said, okay, well, if we're coming off the fence now, it's time for me to charge forward. And he didn't even look like he was going that quickly and he dropped a couple of fast horses that were following him at the time, um, just very, very easily. That's that's his blessing and his curse, I think, cool in the end, is that he, that push-button speed, he explodes so quickly. But um, it, for many horses, Soletic's probably one of them. There's, there's a number of them around. The sprint probably lasts for about, you know, three to 400 metres, and we, we probably saw that. Even though he was fresh, that's sort of who he is, I think, even going forward, Steve. Yeah, no, 100% there, and, and he has got dynamic speed, as you say. I mean, he's left Soletic behind when he drops his bum and takes off, and I tell you what, it's really good sitting behind horses with that speed. Sometimes, like you say, they don't feel as flash when they're out in front and just rolling along, but you'd remember my little mate, Indigo Bay. Yes. He would come from impossible positions at the top of the straight, and you'd weave a gap, and all of a sudden, he just ran straight past them, and the feeling that horses with that high speed gives you is just... It's like getting in a motor car and, you know, just dropping the clutch. It's, yeah, it's quite exciting. Yes, I, there's no doubt. And, and it's exciting even to watch, let alone be, uh, be in competition. Right, we're four races down. We've got six races to go. We will come to some audio from the uh, from the post-race interviews on Trot's Vision a little bit later, including one with um, Tom, which has been greatly patronised. Wasn't he? Cool kid. We'll talk about Paul the other, the other leg in a moment. 
Um, we might even go to a break to it and then come back with that audio. But wasn't he a ripper kid? I tell you what, he is full of confidence. He is not a shy bone in his body. He he was really good, and he's uh, what was he thirteen? He turns around and he said, oh, "I'll make behind me." It's just like uh, he's he's a mature kid. He, he's got a lot of years on those very young shoulders. But uh, he done his race call and everything. It was fantastic and. I touched base with uh, Dan yesterday morning and said, just following up from Saturday night, can we get him up in the box with you? And and Dan's reply was short and sweet, and it was just, absolutely. So we we got to get him up there. I think he'll love it. He's just he may be our next race caller of the future. Yeah, one for uh, just a. I think he. I don't know whether I, he might be Leon Cameron's nephew. Um, but he's uh, he was a he was an absolute ripper kid, and um, I, like I said to him, well, you'll hear it soon. But I said to him in the interview, I wouldn't normally do this. If you were a shy kid, it wouldn't put you under the pump here. But I can tell you one thing: I could realise it wasn't a shy kid. Let's go for a break here in retrospective. We'll come back. We'll have a listen to Tommy, and then we'll talk about Tommy. That is Paul the other leg who won the first leg of the quaddy at Tabcourt Park on Saturday night. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499-736-736. Welcome back to the Metrospective edition of Trots Live here on SEN Track. Now, race five on Saturday night was won by a horse called Pull the Other Leg, but he's called Tommy, and he's called Tommy after a certain 13-year-old wonderkind who was wonderful on uh, Trotsvision on Saturday night. Here's a little bit of Tommy chatting with Steve Cleave, Josh Jenkins, and myself. You must be a pretty special kid if they're naming horses after you. <laughs> I just like to go down the stables. It's good down there. Treat me pretty well. I've heard that you are a pretty good race caller. Do you reckon you can give Dan a bit of a run for his money? Oh, Dan's pretty good, but, you know... I think I could give him maybe a run for his money. What is your future in the game, uh, Tom? Is it race calling? Is it uh, you going to be a driver, trainer? What's what's you going to be a punter? Maybe what's the uh, what does the future hold for you? Oh, I don't know yet. I like all those things. I um, like doing the form and then driving them around the track sometimes back at the gaff. So um, hopefully train someday, whether it's gallops or um, harness. But love it. So yeah, good. If you've got any aspirations to be a race caller, because Kate keeps wrapping you up as a pretty good caller, we get to speak to Dan every race up here. How about we hook you up and get you up in the box with him one night? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to meet him. I'll have to have a word in his ear after this. Yeah, thanks, guys. No, 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 you're not done yet, Tom. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I want to know how old you are, first of all. I'm 13. Yeah, you seem like a pretty confident kid. You don't, you're not lucky in confidence anyway, it would appear. Does that sound about right to you? Oh... You know, don't mind it, because we got two younger kids running around the house, so got to keep them in place, um, especially my younger brother, Will, who's probably watching this right now, going, what are you doing on the TV? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Tommy, do you reckon we're doing all right job doing the former, or have you got us covered? Oh, Will, oh, I don't know. Will's probably just watching at home going, oh, look at this idiot on the TV, so... <laughs> Yeah, Tom. Yeah, Tom. Hi, Mum. I love that. Uh, Tom, I wouldn't do this to you. If you were a shy kid, right, I wouldn't do this to you. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But you just watch the race that happened right now, the pull the other leg one, yes? Yeah. Major Mel ran second. Yeah. Can you give us the last 100 metres? 
Oh, okay. And it's pulled the other leg, leading by seven metres. Major Mal making a big run up the sprint lane, but it's pulled the other leg. He's race clear seven metres, and Major Mal gave a good chase up the inside, but pulled the other leg. He won by three metres in the end, and Major Mal just on the inside. Rick Riley gave a good run. Um, I don't know. No, mate, that, hey, round of applause in the studio. <laughs> that was outstanding. Hey. Stay there, Tom, for a moment. Uh, Dan, if you're with us, that was that was a good showing as he got the ability that he requires. Mate, I'm going to vacate here after race eight, so if you want to come up, mate, and call the last couple, um, <laughs> it'll be good for you and it'll be good for me too. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> hey, by the way, Tommy, he's the best in the business, the best there's ever been. So you, you go up there and have a chat with Dan, and that could be the start of your career, but, but I think there's some schooling for the next... Five, seven, eight years to come. Well yeah. done, young man. I got it. Thanks, boys. What a great kid. Um, he really joined into the process and uh, it was a lot of fun, wasn't it, Stephen? And, uh, and Tommy did get the job done, pulled the other leg, one with, um, with comfort. And I'll tell you what, I reckon in that interview, uh, young Tommy was over racing on a couple of occasions and the horse was as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, he did a great job. As you said, he's full of confidence. He's definitely not shy. And, you know, he pulled uh, Rick Riley out of his memory banks to remember that he run yes. third. And he, he also got the, the finish right, pulled the other leg, had kicked clear. And the final margin between first and second was 2.3 metres. And he called it down to three metres. So that was <laughs> that was pretty impressive when you look at all that. Uh, just, just outstanding. Like I said, I think even at the time he probably could have gone back to fourth and fifth. He seemed like he had that kind of mind that um, he watches them very, very closely and very much in, uh, enjoys the trots and obviously the gallops as well. I just about fell off my chair when JJ asked him if he wanted to be a punter later on in life. I thought to myself, I've got myself in a lot of trouble with that. Let's keep him to training at this stage, uh, team. But uh, he was a good uh, winner, pulled the other leg. And he's one of those... Uh, funny horses that they come over from New Zealand and I think even you mentioned this wasn't a really expensive purchase yet I, I don't know I get the feeling now that maybe Andy has had a good opinion of him right from the word go and to be honest that's four starts three wins and the race that he didn't win he's gone he's parked out and not been beaten far in a 54-8 middle trip at Melton so he's he's a very progressive horse yeah, he certainly is, and he got a bit keen there Saturday night, and you can see Kate was laying out the back of the cart going down the back in a 27-9 quarter, and, uh, you know, that can sort of take it out of him a bit, but he, he just just kept rolling really strong to the finish. Um, the disappointment was probably all shook up, had had the trip on his back all the way, and you'd expect he would have been in for second, but he just sort of battled up the straight. Major Mel was really good running second at big odds, another one we plucked out at value. And that was a terrific uh, drive by Herbie because he just turned left at the start and happened to get in in front of Hayden Bromack to get three pegs. And and that guaranteed him the spot in second place when he flashed up the inside. A couple of good eye catches. And I don't know whether you could black book them, but Rick Riley and Vanquish Stride, I thought, were the two that got home absolutely super from, from well back and wide when everything else was sort of getting up on the fence. Um, those two sort of had to make their runs wide a long way from home in, in quick time. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't quite black book them, but I'd certainly have them in my following page. Yeah, but... Uh... I didn't have a lot to talk about here, pretty much. You've covered most of it there. Steve, all shook up. We didn't mention it on the uh, Friday form panel as well. I think he's um, – you, you never want to say this sort of thing. I just think he's an overrated horse, all shook up. And it's not fair on him in a way. He keeps starting 
too short, in my opinion, because one thing that did happen in this race that I think um, hurt him right from the word go is that the draw looked look great on paper because I think he's a far, far better horse when he does nothing at the start. But here, with Duke of Dundee running off the gate a little bit and Axelair and Major Mel wanting that spot, all shook up, had to be shaken up quite significantly to hold the back of pull the other leg. And already at that point, once he does that, I don't think he can run out a strong 2,240 metres. And I reckon that's not the first time it's happened. Major Mal, uh, I thought was good. Rick Roller, you've already mentioned. The one that caught my eye for the 93rd time in a row is Cosimo. He was back along the fence and he really didn't get a clear run at them. And he just sort of charged up. While the others were out wide and being asked for their big effort, Cosimo just sort of sliced through and got pretty close to them without being asked for the big effort. There's a lot of... Uh, I'm not saying he's quite as good as I'm no outlaw, but there's a lot of I'm no outlaw about him. If you can just cover him up, I think he's going to win a race as good as this and maybe even slightly better than this going forward, Cosimo. That's how well he's racing at the time being. But a very good win to pull the other leg, who, incredibly, and I know Andy and Kate would say there's probably a, a huge chasm between them, went 0.7 of a second, 7 tenths of a second slower his mile rate over the middle trip than catch a wave. That's how well he's going, 155.9 for the middle. Time for another break. Come back, short link up, and then we'll come back with a second hour of Metrospective here on Trot's Life. Still got five races to go. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back. It's Trot's Life on a Monday, which means it's retrospective. Retrospective on Metropolitan Racing. It's a portmanteau, you see. Mixing of two words together. Um... We won't get stuck into anything yet because there's a minute to go until the hard out and the news, uh, Steve, but a couple of group ones to come by in the next couple of races. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know we'll have a hell of a lot to add to the Australasian Trotting Championship, though there were a lot of quote-unquote luckless runs there, but we're going to have some fun talking about the VHRC Caduceus Classic. Even watching it on the night, going back and watching it again, it's uh, it's quite a spectacle, isn't it? It certainly was, and uh, it was actually interesting going back and watching the replay a few times, and you saw a few different, uh, you know, watching each horse individually, I suppose, gave you a bit more perspective on the race, but it was a crazy speed early, and it was a crazy finish late, so it was a great watch, and yeah, it's exciting with what's coming forward with our uh, all our big races leading into the summer. And we've got a little bit more audio as well. We'll have uh, something from Chris Alford after the win from Elder Baron Zeus. He was also joined by... A young fan, Jack, was with him, and VHRC Caduceus Classic, an emotional, I reckon, Mick Stanley after the horse they call Hendo got the job done for a big group one towards even bigger targets. He's being set for the Inter-Dominion Series, and maybe even, based on a tweet I saw from Michael Guerin, the New Zealand Cup. Back in a moment.
You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Welcome back to Trot's Live and to the Metrospective edition of Trot's Life. Now, we're going to get stuck into the Group 1 races in a moment. But for now, before we talk about the win of Elder Baron Zeus in the Op- Opus Group Australasian Trotting Championship at Group 1 level, let's hear from the winning driver, the legendary Chris Alford. Source, despite his achievements, he continues to be underrated, probably not after tonight. Uh, yeah, hi, guys. Um, yeah, no, I was very happy with Zeus tonight. He... Um, didn't know sort of what was going to happen in the run, but once we found the front, um, you know, I thought we might have to take a trail if something come put pressure on. But uh, the runs didn't come till a thousand out, and he had he'd had a pretty easy lap, and um, just sort of had to run 1200, and he felt great in the run. And um, although he sort of looked like he was getting tired, he sort of half switched off halfway down the straight, and um, but he still had something to give, I think, at, at the finish. All right, some interesting thoughts there. And I can tell you, if that's what the uh, the audio sounded like in the studio or not, we'll have to get that sorted for next week because uh, I sound like I'm in a tin shed. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> we move forward. Uh, race six versus the group ones. And quite interesting that uh, the puppet was sort of suggesting if, if somebody had had the – but I don't. it's hard to work out who he might be talking about exactly, but there would have only been a few that could have done it. But he was, he was open to the idea of taking a trail. It's funny, when you watch the race, I think a lot of people, without hearing those post-race interviews, Steve, would think, well, it was desperate to lead all the way. But that wasn't the case. That's just how it turned out. And when those runs come, as you'd know uh, full well, a lap out and you've, you've gone pretty easy and steady, there's no way you're handing out from there. No, absolutely not. And he summed it up. He only really had to run 1,200 metres and he did that quite impressively. And look, I think the only horse he probably would have been handed up to was if Mary Law had to come around earlier. He's such a good leader and put the pressure on. He would have been happy to sit on his back because uh, I'm sure Chris would have been confident he, he could out sprint him because he does have that high turn of foot. But uh, they left him alone. It was uh, a little bit of a mixed around start. There's a few making mistakes and uh, once they all settled out, um, Baron Zeus just slowly worked to the front. He, he sort of knew he was going to get it because the stable mate, Robbie Royale, had, had landed to the front pretty quick. Powder Keg actually got away too good for its own good in the sense, that sounds really silly, but he got up straight on Baron Zeus's back, but then ended up getting stuck in the death seat when Baron Zeus just jogged to the front and had to sit there for an extra lap until... Uh, Mary Law decided to make his move and he just jogged around and um, as Josh Jenkins said uh, Saturday night on the panel, Zeus pretty much dictated to Mary Law what was going to happen, not the other way around. And that's where he pretty much had that race won. And it was an impressive run. And look, Mary Law went really good in in second. Boldico, who sat on the pegs, one of our favourite horses of all times now. It just keeps running places at massive odds. Uh, it, It got home really good for third. Sundon's Courage got home really well for fourth, only just missing third. Adele got home really good from uh, the 1-1 one, one, and then one out and two back. Um, and then Robbie Royale and Parisian Artiste, they were sort of just weaving their way through uh, the pack at the finish. But uh, the winner, the hats off to him, he, he led all the way over the long distance. And as Chris said, he didn't have to, didn't have to do much early. So it was just a 1,200-metre sprint and a 27-6 down the back pretty much just put it to bed. Yeah, I, th- I think the only thing we learn about Alderbaran Zeus, not, look, I, there's been a lot of uh, talk about him probably not being as strong as he is fast, and we spoke about that on Saturday night, but he can hold that speed or a pretty high cruising speed before he goes. And to go for 1,200 metres, well, that already puts you in a different league 
to most horses. If you can uh, if you can hold a high speed for twelve hundred meters, well, uh, you're already a good horse. And his top speed is his crucial weapon. That twenty seven you mentioned off the back, and he he can just do that. He can do that just by pressing a button. Multi Law was incredibly brave. Um, maybe they were thinking about going around a little bit earlier. I don't think it would have had much. Um, much effect on the result. I think he, he was always going to get close to Elder Baron Zeus and probably never beat him. He is still, you know, the better of the two horses, you would say, at this stage. He was off 10 metres. He had to park out in transit. He's got that element of strength and um, experience and race craft. So he, his performance was excellent. Baltica, I reckon, it was great that she did run a place, but she's one of those horses I was discussing earlier, Steve, where... Even though she was only held up, she was held up twice for maybe 30, 40, 50 metres at a time or 30 metres once and then 40 metres on another occasion. But I think it probably hindered her more than it would many other horses. And it hinders trotters more than it does paces because of the the fact that they do have to rebuild and start the engine again. I thought her effort was superb and I wouldn't entirely rule out the possibility, even though you won't think it when you're watching the replay, if she'd had totally clear running, I reckon she would have gone perilously close to winning the race. Yeah, I'm not sure 100% on winning the race, but I'd certainly think she'd be right there in the photo with them. Um, it's always hard to you know, say they would or they wouldn't win unless it was something really dramatic. But I agree with you. If they're not that, um, and that's to say with trotters, they, they don't have that sort of sit up and sprint high speed from 0 to 100 in two strides. So it is very hard when they do get held up to build that momentum. Um, so she's just going to live in our black book for a while longer, that one, because, yeah, she's just busting to win a good race. And and getting back to the winner, I, I don't know why there are so many people thinking this horse is not tough. I mean, he won a heat over the 2690 of the Derby. He ran second in the Derby final over 2690. He loves a long trip. So I'm not surprised at all that he's uh, he's finding the line so well after such a, a long race. No, and the thing is, it, when you're a fast horse, and we'll talk about on a little basin, but when you're a fast horse, a lot of the time people uh, have a question mark over you in a dog fight. But the truth is, if you're fast enough, you don't get in that many dog fights. So um, it doesn't. It's not much of an issue. Adele and Sundance Courage in the same race, I thought were both pretty good. Adele. Maybe with that beautiful spot in running, just got dropped for speed at a certain stage. Maybe, uh, maybe I thought it might go two percent better, but it was very solid. Sometimes carriage was very good, and a couple of unlucky horses. There was one in particular that will escape the minds and eyes of most people, but I thought went terrific. So Parisian Artis was unlucky, but have horse will travel, who is typically a very very quick beginner from the strands, gallops early, and if you just watch at the back of your screen. One charging home late, it's have horse, will travel. So it's going to be one of those races. I know they all have to go into really good grade again, but it's going to be one of those races, I think, that there's a couple out the back here that didn't have much luck that, uh, who knows, that, that they could be figuring, figuring in the finish of a similar race next time out because Parisian Artiste is trending back towards something and we know the opinion people had of him uh, last preparation, Steve. And like I say, have horse will travel's going to escape a few eyes and minds, but I thought he got home really well after an early error too. 
Yeah, I had a, a little asterisk against his name. I didn't black book it, but it certainly put the asterisk against it because of the way it did get home. And as you said, it just blew the start. And you sort of thought, well, that one's over and done with. But it was really flying home and kept running through the line really strong. So certainly one you got to watch. It is hard. I think it's a 119 rider. So it's not going to find an easy race, but I think it's certainly going to be riding the finish, you know, next time it does everything right. Let's go for another break. When we come back here on the Metrospective edition of Trot's Life on SEN Track, we'll hear from Michael Stanley chatting with his great mate, his old mate, Josh Jenkins, after the win from Rock and Roll Do, and he was a bit emotional too. Then we'll go through the Rock and Roll Do win in the VHRC Caduceus Classic at Group 1 level. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. All the smart things. Welcome back to Trot's Live SEN Track. We've got about 40 minutes to go. Before we get stuck in, Steve Cleve and I are discussing the VHRC Caduceus Classic. Let's hear. Well, let's get the, right from the horse's mouth. Mick Stanley talking with Josh Jenkins, I believe, and maybe Steve and I, but definitely Josh Jenkins on Trot's Vision post the win on Saturday night. He's, he's four. He's, you know, he's relatively lightly raced. I know the opinion you've got of him, but what does it look like for him the next few months? Victoria Cup's obvious. He's nominated for the New Zealand Cup. So what does it look like for him knowing how good he is, knowing how good he might be, and knowing that he is still only a four-year-old? Yeah, well, mate, the, the, you know, back in the old scale, he'd be, he would have turned five, you know, in September. So um, I've said it before, the, the horse's optimum racing age is that five, six, you know, year old age in, in this grand circuit level. So to be able to take our time with him, and, and it still says four beside his name, but um, physically he he's ready to be here. So, um, yeah, we're numb for the New Zealand Cup because we just think with his gait and that, um, you know, that might really suit him being able to, from the stand, just be able to take his time to get into his gear instead of the fast pace of a mobile. So... Look, um, we've got Kilmore Cup in, in two weeks' time um, into the Victoria Cup, but we might sneak a um, standing start trial in, in between uh, at Geelong next Monday and see how he goes there. And if he does handle it well, um, I know Brendan's really keen to, to go over there and, and have a serious crack at it. That's Brendan James, of course, who is the owner of Rock and Roll doing... I've got to say, I must have zoned out. Um, uh, so we were talking about the big targets coming up for... Rock and roll do, but going over to New Zealand that would be um, that would be big. And it was weird because I was discussing on the night how the really fast run seventeen hundred and twenty meters might be might suit him down to the ground. But he definitely is. He's big and he's strong, and he probably will absolutely eat up those staying trips as well. So to be a very very good horse these days, most of the time you probably got to be able to do it all, Steve. And it feels like he might be that kind of horse. Yeah, absolutely. And you know. It used to be thought that the speedy horses win the short distance races, but I think the toughest horses win the short distance races because the speed's on all the way. You know, you don't get to sit up and, and catch a breath. It's just go, go, go. So anything that wins, you know, especially in these sort of races running 150.6, you know he's certainly tough because, uh, yeah, they have to be tough to be able to do that. But it was a, a terrific win. And like you said, it was a blistering early speed. They they came off the gate and absolutely hammered it. Um 
the one and the two, Tango Tara and Torrid Saint, both wanted the front. Tango Tara won that war, but at what cost uh, to both him and Torrid Saint? They, they probably went for 100 metres further than they probably needed to. Uh, Nathan then put the pedal down and worked to the front. Uh, 26-7 first quarter was fair going. And then uh, backed it off a little bit to 29-6. And, and that was when uh, Honolulu Bade made his move around. And it was probably, the, I mean, it was the right move because Torrid Saint was pulling back in his lap looking for cover. So he had to go anyway. He went during that time. But those first five horses, which was copied that, Honolulu Bay, Tango Tara, Supreme Dominator, and Torrid Saint, they, they were all in that real early burn. The, the next five horses were all sitting back and, and just sort of finding their position, not doing anything early. And then at the finish, it was, yeah, four of the five at the back were the first four home. And then Honolulu Bay uh, led up the rest of the field. And actually re-watching the replay, Honolulu Bay's run wasn't as, well, not as bad, but he didn't finish as far back as I thought he did when I watched it live. It sort of looked like he dropped out really quick. But when you watch the replay, he actually battled on pretty good considering uh, the times that they ran but rock and roll do. That was a magical win. And it was about 300 metre mark when uh, Mick pulled him out of one out and two back. And he does what he does and gets that head you talk about. He gets it up sky high and you can picture him above all the other horses. But the way he took off and, and how hard he travelled up to him, I turned to Mick, uh, turned to Josh, sorry, and he'd only just pulled three wide. But I said, mate, you're home here. He, he just looked like the winner the moment he pulled out because he was just coming at him so quickly and so impressively. And it's great to see because he's he's had a few little issues. He's done things wrong. But Mick's got him right on track at the moment, and, and that was a really good win. Yeah, it, like it, it totally was. Uh, and it was – the margin tells you the story. We'll talk about some others. We'll unpack this whole thing over the next seven or eight minutes, right? But um, the opening cut was – Predictable. I think I might have even mentioned on Trot's vision uh, to Dan Malecki. Let's imagine it's a 26-8 first quarter. It was 26-7. The lead time, 6.7. Whenever they break seven, that's quick. So they've absolutely launched here. The predictable part, I think, was Tango Tara versus Torrid Saint. The unpredictable part, for me at least, was um, copied that continuing to blast forward until he got the top. And once he got there, uh, it was very interesting because even then I thought to myself, that's okay, Onalua Bay... He's in the spot. He's 1-1. Doesn't matter if he gets dragged back. And I'm going to say it for the 193rd time. I'm, I'm certain this is a bit, This horse is at his absolute best when you come with one run with him. And if it was him coming from um, a similar position, I, you know, I, I, I think it would have been easy. But I can understand from Mark Pitt's perspective, he was thinking, well, I'll tell you what, you've burnt so hard to get the front, Nathan. I'm going to, I'm going to come around now because... You're, you're, you're going to back it right down now and we'll probably walk for the next 700 metres and then sprint up another 400 metres. No doubt that's what was going through his head. It didn't happen. So they have backed it down to some degree, 29-6. But really, even before the third quarter got rolling, they'd started running hard and fast again. It was it, like The pressure was quite incredible. 150.6. And you think about Torrid Saint going about a second slower but running all the way in front. It tells you what a difference, Steve, when you get to that 150, 151 mark in a track like Melton, every tenth of a second creates a different scenario, doesn't it? Like every it, every tenth means almost a full second, really, because you talk, you're talking about one race where the leader's been able to lead, dictate, and win, and here where the leaders couldn't pick their legs up at the finish. So this was truly as brutally run as you can possibly imagine. And I'm with you to a degree. 
I'm a lot more forgiving of Honolulu Bay right now than I probably was on the night for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think he's a breeze horse. But two, when you think about the horses that went through the, you know, that early sperm with him, even though he wasn't totally involved in it, they've all finished a fair way behind. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, And it's funny, watching the replay, it, it felt like there was more pressure in the race than what there was. Honolulu Bay was behind like a length off the leader all the way down the back straight. Nathan just got that horse running on his own and, and made Honolulu Bay chase. He didn't even get – well, he only got a halfway up alongside him at the 300 when Rock and Roll do actually pulled out. Um, so he still hadn't even got to his girth at that stage. So all that speed – all that pressure actually wasn't there. It was just the speed that was put on by the leader, um, which just proved too much first up. But then Honolulu Bay sort of got to him, but he, he got to him tired, as I said, having to do that work, chasing him. And and then that's when the speed come in. And as I said, you watch Rock and Roll do, he, he hit the line super. He's got such good finishing power. And I think that's where Mick likes the, the New Zealand Cup. You know, it's over a distance. And if they do happen to you know, go hard and a few of them make a few runs and he's the last one on the scene, then he's going to be coming home like he did Saturday night. And then getting into the beaten brigade, it's a lineup of uh, absolute sit sprinters, isn't it? Oh, well, let's go through them one by one quickly. Max Delight has had to weave, was in a position um, to come wider, but then got pushed back in and Greg's just had to follow the speed. So Max Delight, even though, and this is again talking about the last quarter being slower than the third quarter, but Max Delight has been enormous first up. I'm going to break no matter which way you look at it. So Max Delight was last at the top of the straight, getting dragged back by Torrid Saint. So not only did he have to sort of spring home, he had to pick up off being restrained. Like Greg was just hanging out of the back of the cart basically and you know Greg's not one of those drivers he's he's always sort of got him up and and sitting up there good he's had to come off where I'm just clicking through the replay so I can get it all absolutely spot on but we're about 180 from home when Greg finally gets him to the outside and he's pulling out on a on a fairly severe angle to get off the back of uh bulletproof boy we hit the 100 meter mark and he's still two lengths behind Willie go west and a length and a half behind Bulletproof boy, and in 100 metres, he has flashed home and beaten them both to the line, which is an outstanding effort because we know how well those horses get home. Yeah, it, like uh, amazing performance. Bulletproof boy, uh, really, really, really good. Will he go west? I thought well, uh, joined in at the right time. And again, we see him more as a, a leading type. Um, then you go back to, so Supreme Dominator probably got held up a little bit. It wasn't really involved in the early burn Pass mark? Just, he, I thought he would have got up the straight a lot better than what he did. He, he was held up around the corner, but when he got clear air, those horses have all got around him and gone past him. And I was just a tad disappointing, especially after the way he went last week. I thought he got home really good last week after being held up. This week he just didn't, but he was thereabouts in that early burn because he had the barrier draw. Um, you know, he's kicking up in that, quick lead time to try and hold the leaders back. So maybe, you know, as I said, everything that was in the first five that were in that speed burn, the only one that wasn't in it was Rack'em Up Tiger Pie, but those five have all finished at the back. Yeah, uh, Torrid Satan, Tango Tara, if they were at the back of the field, not the front, who knows what might have happened. But so you, you've got to be a little bit forgiving. There, there will be a question mark. Some people will now have and say, oh, where does that form stack up against this form? Because maybe that Torrid Satan, Tango Tara form isn't that strong, but I... I personally think probably they're back in the field. A couple of others have done the early work. 
they still get home really well. Copy that. Can he bounce back from a run like that quickly enough to to win a Victoria Cup? Um, yeah, we've got a few weeks for a Victoria Cup. I, look, as long as there's nothing wrong with him, then I suppose he probably should be able to. Um, it'll just be see what comes out in the next few days. Um, I said it was a, a gut buster of a run, you know, 26-7 first quarter after – you know, working his way to the lead and then 27-1 down the back. And like I said, 56-4 first half, 55-2 second half. And, yeah, let's just hope he does pick up. If, if he picks up, he, look, he's a real bloody good horse. So, you know, you'd expect him to be competitive in, you know, in the big cup if he does make it there. Here's the amazing thing. I'll still be do this for a moment before we go to the 12.30 news. But um, early markets for the Group 1 Victoria Cup on October 8, okay, pre-noms. Copy that, Honolulu Bay and Spirit of St. Louis are equal $5 favourites. So ju- just, touch it. just swallow that down for a moment when we're going to talk about some of the value about the horses that beat them home on Saturday night. Better Eclipse is nine, Bondi Lockdown, nine, Expensive Ego, nine. But the ones that we saw, so Rock and Roll Do's now been backed into $18, and understandably so. But you go even, was 31. Fu- you go even further down the list, if Willie Go West was somehow drawn to lead, he's 41 and 11. Um, Tango Tara Torrid Saint, both 51. But surely, like Bulletproof Boy at 101 and 20 to 1 the place, and ma- probably even more so, Max Delight, 101 and 21 dollars the place. Like, if you don't have something, if you don't have $2 each way on Max Delight at 101 and 21 now, I, I just don't know. I don't know, Steve. Yeah, well, as we said, I'm not a futures better. I've, to tell you the truth, I've never, ever looked up a futures market because I've just got no interest betting that far out. It's just too hard. And then Josh sort of looked at us and said, guys, have you seen this? And we're like, what? <laughs> he showed us $101.21 on Max Delight for a horse that you pretty much know is going to make the field. He, you know, he's won it before. He, he's a really good horse. But to see him finish off like that, that says he's definitely on the way back. And you know, that's just crazy odds. So we had to have a little dabble at that at those odds. Um, you know, I mean, I know it's still a long way out, but they're the sort of odds that you do want to take in these futures markets because you can have a very small outlay and get a very nice return. And, and I've even forgot about the bet. You know, you could wake up the day after Victoria Cup and have, have something in your account and go, oh, I forgot I backed him two months ago. So uh, $101 is just crazy. Well, this is the reason why we don't bet into futures markets, right? Up to the $14 chances, there's already 115% in the market. By the time we get down, 121, 128, 131, it's about, with the horses that are there, it's about 150, 160%. So that's why you never want to play into futures markets. But then they do this. I mean, honestly, um, I don't want to tell people what increments to bet in because it's entirely up to them and you've got to bet to your budget and, and all the rest of it and gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. But say you only had... $15 to spend, I'd be having, I wouldn't even worry about the win. $10 a place on Max Delight at $21 and $5 a place on Bulletproof Boy at 21 and 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 move on and enjoy your life because Max Delight will definitely get in the race for a start. If he if he's sound, he'll be in the race. So that's quite often the concern with futures betting, that you won't even, you won't even get in the race. And Bulletproof Boy would be horribly, terribly, terribly unlucky to miss out as well. So um, that's what I'd be doing. Time for the news. Come back. We've got three more races to go in this Monday edition. As always, a retrospective here on Trot's Life on SEN Track. 
Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. We're Matchbox 20. That's right, yeah? That's right, um, right, a few races to go here on the Metrospective edition of Trots Live. And we move forward to the Group 3 Alabar Vic Bread Platinum Pace. And a great win from an old friend of yours, Amelia. Um, we probably thought that she, both of us on the night thought that she might have been headed off. She never was, but she still fought. And that was really what we wanted to see. Clearly, her form has been trending in the right direction. But in a way, this was... This was well. It was definitely continuing that 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 trend and that ascendancy because she did have to lift. The mile rate was pretty good. It's still not, still not, still not the pedion that we saw win in one fifty four one the Vic Bread uh, semi final as a two year old. But it's definitely we're heading in the right direction, aren't we? Yeah, she's certainly tracking back in the right direction now. She's a big, strong mare. She's beautiful to look at when you're out on the track. And, uh, yeah, she's definitely one of my favourite girls. But um, she just found the front quite comfortably. They did get out the gate fairly well, 45.1. Ruby Wingate, uh, Michael Bowman, he knew exactly where he wanted to be and he made sure he got there. Uh, Lara J. McRae crossed the fence first and uh, let uh, Mick get across, and then she ended up to Pedalonte. Nikki Nana struggled with the early pace, sort of got dropped off early, and Ardashang Lee and Just Hope then back behind them. So they were well sprung out. Uh, the first, you know, 400 metres, they, they all sort of tacked up and got back in line once uh, they put the brakes on a tad. 30.9, 32nd quarter. Then 27-5 down the back, and Ardashang Lee had the job of charging up into the desk seat and, and taking Just Hope right into the race. Uh, Petalotte really got sort of uh, petty on, depends on which way you want to pronounce it, got really keen going down the back. That's when they ripped a 27.5, but uh, got home in 28-5 and just kept kicking to the line to hold the win. Ruby Wingate was excellent running second. She's just going absolutely super. I think her last five starts now is three seconds and two fourths, so she's really knocking on the door to win one. Just hope. I think there's a fair bit of improvement there. Just never really sort of dug in like she could. Well, not didn't dug in, but probably never looked the winner. Um, as we thought she would. And Arda Shanglai, who's going very well, just uh, stuck on for fourth. Yeah, oh, she's going great guns, Arda Shanglai. It was another really good run. Like you say, Ruby Wingate, the form coming through uh, that series that they contested recently, that's going to stand up. Uh, there's probably four ways, isn't there? There's Petionte, Petionte, Petalonte, Petalonte. I've got, I, I think I mix and match. But uh, Big Amelia, she, she's, a, she's definitely a good filly. There's no doubt about it. I wouldn't mind your appraisal on Just Hope. I'm wondering... Look, you look at the sectionals, actually, and the fact that uh, Petiont's such a good filly as well, and you think to yourself, oh, 2.3 metres, that's probably about right from where you came from. But maybe it's just my elevated opinion of Just Hope, but I kind of thought when she was about to join in, I thought the Just Hope that I've seen at her absolute best would have probably, if not won the race, then it would have been just a head bobber at the finish or like very, very little between them. And she didn't quite get there. I've got a funny feeling, and based on the slightly conservative tactics, that there's just been maybe a little hiccup somewhere, and and um, she's one or two runs away. But it was like it was still good enough. But I don't think it was her at her best. No, totally agree. It was good, but it wasn't great. The fact they went twenty-seven-five down the back, she had cover. 
28-5. So there's that last quarter disparity where they run slower the last quarter. I thought she would have peeled and went bang and just said thank you very much for that. Uh, but when she didn't and, and even struggled to sort of get two ped, pedal on, you know, 2.3 metres, I thought maybe she gets beaten ahead, if, if anything. But the way it was run, I thought it really sort of suited Just Hope to, to flash home late, but just didn't see that sparkle about her yet. So maybe uh, maybe you're right. Maybe something hasn't been quite right with her, but hopefully that run will top her off and she'll start bringing her best uh, very soon. And Clayton Tonkin gets uh, all the money because he's the owner, as mentioned by you, I think, to, uh, to Mark Pidd on Saturday night in the post-race interview. Um, Pidd was probably... Yeah, you know, it was probably a tough time for uh, for everyone after race seven, really, when you come off the track and you think, well, I, I thought I was making the right decision. So you really want to bounce back as quickly as you can. And he was able to with Petiont in the Elabar Vic Bread Platinum Pace at Group 3 level. Then we move on to race nine. Um, funny old race. Ray Green needed a change of luck. He got one, but um, the margin wasn't massive. But I feel like the win was relatively dominant in a way from Argyle, Steve. Yeah, it uh, had a bit of work to do early when um, they went to war into the first corner. And he is a big rough-looking goer. I'm not sure whether – if if he was a smooth pacer, I reckon he nearly could have actually held out uh, Gilligan's Island. But he looked like he put a few roughies in there every time Nath went to really push him out. So he ended up having to take the sit on Gilligan's Island Um from there, yeah, you'd sort of think he was going to be the winner if he got clear air. But um, at the top of the straight, Gilligan's Island just wobbled and sort of got up the, I suppose it was before the top of the straight, just got up the track a bit, which gave him an inside run probably 20 or 30 metres before the sprint lane. So Nathan didn't even have to steer him down. He just was able to go straight through in a straight line, which certainly helped him sort of burst through and get his momentum up without having to be steered down towards the inside. He does feel like a horse. I'm just watching the replay again now. Like the wind still wasn't, you know, anything superb, and Nathan had to ask everything of him. But he still he looks like the kind of horse that I think down the track, the harder it gets, the better he'll probably go. He just seems like he'll keep going at a relatively high speed. Without he might not have that snap turn of speed at the moment. He is a bit rough going. He's got some quirks, but I feel like he'll actually be better off in better races. Yeah, I don't think he's a leader's back style horse. I think he's probably better off out and running, you know, at the 400, not trying to zoom him up at the 200. And once he sort of got going, I reckon his best bet was, you know, he was probably going better after the line you know, than what he was 100 metres before the line, if that makes sense. He was really just starting to wind up. And, yeah, he, he was doing it pretty comfortable on the line. And it's a bit of a, a confusing one again. Sheffield Sparky. Probably looked the winner on the corner. You thought, wow, you know, this is his chance to bounce back, but just didn't savage the line. Magic Mike was good again, but the winner, yeah, just I think he just had the class edge on him. And I just couldn't believe he was a dollar eighty favourite. As I said to you Saturday night, I thought if it was one of our trainers and, and let's just say Andy, because he brings over so, new, so many New Zealanders, but he brings them over, and I reckon he would have started a dollar thirty if that had been Andy bringing him over and. Yeah, the New Zealand trainer brings them over and all of a sudden you get value on them, which, yeah, bit of a question mark why. Yeah, well, particularly one as as good as Ray Green. Like, Ray Green's had some unbelievably good horses over the years, so um, he's he's elite. But I think there's the other thing that goes through your mind, and one of the things, one of the reasons that I felt maybe there wasn't a big market move is you do sometimes come over with a group of horses and for whatever reason it doesn't work out straight away, and I think people were looking at Simply Sam and looking at Copy That and saying, 
uh-oh, but really, Simply Sam was against Captain Ravishing, who we might talk about at the end of the show, um, and got held up, you know, most of the race anyway on Friday night in the uh, in the Holloway Classic. And then copy that's been set um, a Herculean task and just not been quite up to the mark. So a good win from Argyle. I'll tell you what, one of the most lovable, unlucky horses going around is Bud Sidewinder. It's flown home again. Ash Markham's got this horse going incredibly well. He's just one. And I am not – I'm – I can't cop this um, relentless bashing of the national rating system because, to be quite honest, I think in terms of evenness of product um, and competitiveness of product, it is not perfect by a million miles, but better than the old system. Um, But what I will say is that some horses are are always going to fall through the cracks, and I feel like Bud Sidewinder is just one of those horses because he should be winning races, but he just can't find them. Yeah, it's it's look, it's a two-sided coin, and it depends on uh, which horse you've got. You know, if you've got a horse that's yeah. out of form, then it's a great system because you're dropping back mighty quickly. And if you've got a horse, you know, Magic uh, Bud Sidewinder, I've got one in my stable, Blazing Cracker. You know, he's always running seconds, thirds, and fourths. He doesn't go up, he doesn't go down, and he's stuck in the same spot and just struggles to win one. So those horses really struggle with the system. So it just depends on which side of the coin you're on. Yeah, it does. There's no doubt about it. And I... I think it, it, I, what we want is for people to be as competitive as they can possibly be. And I think it, we, we all know that the only little – one of the quirks in it is that you, getting beaten a long way and being down the track, you do lose points, which we, we don't want to see horses getting tucked away five poles um, when they're going quite well just to try and lose points. You've got to go out there and, and hope to be able to break through. But there are certainly horses that um, – that fall through the cracks, and I've got no doubt Bud Sidewinder is one of those. We are nine races down, meaning there's only one to go in today's retrospective edition of Trot's Life on SEN Track. And when we come back, we'll go through that race, also through our Black Bookers, and maybe have a little chat on a couple of other harness issues over the weekend, including that enormous win, that breathtaking 25-second final split from Captain Ravishing in the Holloway Classic at Ballarat on Friday night. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. That's great guitar, that. A little bit of... uh... John Mellencamp or John Cougar Mellencamp? The Cougar. The Cougar. Well, that means, yeah, probably, probably just call him John Mellencamp. Race 10 on Saturday night at Tabcorp Park. Melton was won by Treacherous Times. And Glenbull was good enough to uh, to join us and have a chat. Another son of Captain Treacherous. Well, bred out of Van Sumick, as a matter of fact. And I'll tell you what, just having watched the replay a few times, Steve, what it really just did, is it's just worried a couple of others out of it here. Uh, over the odds, looked at him covered just as well as Bolting. And Treacherous Times just said, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to get a hell of a lot quicker, but I'm going to keep going here in the last 100 metres. And I dare you to run past me, and they didn't. Yeah, correct. And you look at the sectionals for that race. He got away with murder and... Uh when they let you get away with murder and you take advantage of it, you should come out the winner, which he did. They lead time of 47.6, which isn't very quick, 
they basically all restrained off the gate, uh, looking for the set. First quarter in 30.5, then 31, then 29.3 down the back, and then home in 27.6. So just ran to the times to suit himself. And as you said, he took full advantage of it and held on for the win. And he's been a very nice horse, actually. He's, he's in terrific form. And um, I think he hasn't finished out of the top three in his last... I think once in his last nine starts, he's finished outside the top three. So he's going really well. Well, I do say regularly, I mean, I, I looked at this race and just thought there's just <laughs> there's infinite frontline speed going on here. And the more frontline speed there is, kids out there, the more likely they're going to do nothing at the start. Because everybody says, I don't know if I, I three can't cross a two, four can't cross a three, I will all go back. So treacherous times was a beneficiary of that. And funnily enough, so you look at speed and pressure in races, Steve, and there's only – well, there's two places. There's the very start and then there's the middle stages. And here, the only speed was at the very start. Like, I was expecting a maniacal early tempo, but there's still really no breeze horse, right? So because there was no speed at the start and then there's no breeze horse, there's no speed through the middle. You've already mentioned 47.6, 30.5, 31, even 29.3 off the back. Uh, we both maybe thought on the night, if over the odds gets going a little bit, just a little bit earlier, do they, can they grind, uh, can they get close enough to beat Treacherous Times? But yeah, again, watching it a few times, Treacherous Times might have just worried the others out of it. Just as well was a most unusual run because it just looked to be absolutely bolting and travelling, coming into the turn, gets clear and just holds ground. But part of that is the very fast last few hundred metres, I guess. Yeah, when they're running that time, it's certainly hard to make ground. It did have a dash up the straight. It did make ground. But just the last 50, I think it seemed to just sort of hit a brick wall. And it looked like it was going to run straight past him. And I think when it realised that it couldn't, it just sort of eased up a little bit. And Chris was out trying to get everything out of her, but just couldn't do the job. But uh, over the odds, stuck on really well. I just sort of thought it was more of a stayer than a sprinter. And I thought, well, if they go 28 down the back and then they get home in, you know, 28, then it may have suited him a little bit better than, you know, the quick dash up the straight, but still did a really good job. And I'd still be following him further on. Yeah, I mean, he probably didn't, won't get any value on him anymore. He was $3.30 Saturday night, which is a bit shorter than what I expected as well. But he is certainly going well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, I thought, yeah, better exclusive gets home quite well. We can get, just one of those races. When they when they do nothing and just rip a quarter, it's always hard to assess them. Here are my black boogers and you give me yours, Steve. Uh, race to Kukullen. I've got a rating 79. I think if it's not next start, it'll be the start after. Aussie Sweet Pea, I've put it in the black book. It's going to need to find the appropriate race, but... Once they teach her how to go, she's got a fair bit of ability, I believe. Sahara Tiger must go in. I reckon it'll go in for Steve as well. And Max Delight's the other one for me, even though we know that he's going to have to tackle the toughest races going around. I'm black booking him for $21 a place in the Victoria Cup, if nothing else. Who are your black bookers from Saturday night, Steve? Yeah, I'll get Lombo Heaven in the first. Uh, I thought he got home really strong, and I know he had the easy win the week before, but he was $21 Saturday night, and he flashed home really well late. Uh, just believe in the second, I was going to put in the black book, but then I looked at it and I thought, well, you're not going to get a price. So maybe we'll leave it out, but certainly follow it because I think it'll just be winning very soon. Like you, Sahara Tiger, I think is a definite black booker. Six lengths at the four, off the leader at the 400 and only gets beaten 15 metres. I think Major Mel, I, I sort of ledges into it on Saturday night. I thought he was going very well and the stable's going good and he hit the line really strong. He's worth having a black book. Baltica stays in there. Max Delight on with you. 
And I think Ruby Wingate, you know, you've just I think she went in last week anyway, but she'd have to stay there as well. Yeah, she's got to find her right rates. But but we say that, but then uh, the only thing about the rating system as well as those younger horses getting into the good races earlier means horses like Ruby Wingate and, and Art of Sheen Lee uh, sometimes, you know, they find themselves facing the younger horses who normally would have been racing in different sort of races, but now they're cast into the open territory and they're at a higher rating than they otherwise would have been. So there's a few different little uh, titbits there that make it hard sometimes for those horses like Ruby Wingate and and also out of Shing Lee to win. It's all right, I said titbits, JD. You can calm down, all right? Um, uh, quickly, before we go to our final break, some party pooper has made that final quarter for Captain Ravishing, rounded it up to 25.1. But still, stunning, stunning win in the Colin and Heather Holloway Classic on Friday night, Steve. Yeah, it certainly was. And look, I know he only raced really a half. It was a bit like Elderberry and Zeus only racing 1,200, uh, 32.7 and a 31.4, which it's small fields. It's really hard because everyone just goes back in Indian file. And I mean, the, the stable mate actually rolled up hoping to get Simply Sam out and running, but he didn't. So he just sort of locked him in there. But they're just sort of boring races, and I, I hate hate it when we go that way. So I like big fields when they're a little bit happening, and I suppose you get a bit more mid-race pressure on. But uh, Mark got this one rolling down the back in 27.7 and stretched out for a 25.1, went by 36.5 metres and was doing it a little bit greenly. He hung in halfway up the straight and hung out and, and ran around a bit and still running those times, sort of got the speed wobbles up a bit. But uh, that's, uh, you don't get much quicker than that. And he, he's certainly a good horse going forward. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes in the, the big races. I know they're, a lot of people are wrapping him up for the derby at the moment, but you don't win a derby off a half. But he's certainly got the ability to be matching it with him. And I suppose if he's got a cold sit on any of them, you know he's going to be flying home late. He's got the speed. For some reason, I think he's going to be a better speed horse, but I think he's well, we know he's got the speed. He's got bucket loads. Well done on your contribution today, Steve. We'll talk to you next week, mate. Thanks, Brian. Looking forward to it. There's Steve Cleave, and that's been Metrospective. I'll hang around for another 30 seconds, but for now, final break. Come back and we'll wind up towards trackside with the Brown Dog, Sammy Highland and JD today. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. A little bit of Shania to uh, say goodbye from Crosslights. And just a little lesson. And it's not a lesson that I just learnt now, but a lesson I've known my whole life. Whenever you take a multi, find out whatever the shortest leg is or for a little bit of sugar, the one that doesn't mean anything and you think is the moral that can't lose, that's the easiest one. And just take it out. Just take it out. Catch a wave a couple of weeks back in the trots. It never works. Love everyone. Sammy Island, the Brown Dog, and JD to take you through trackside. I'll be back tonight at 6 p.m. to dominate Peacock and the Lids Fly. God bless America.